Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson. And today we are chatting with Stephen Shattuck. He oversees the marketing at Bloomerang, a tech company that helps nonprofits manage their data. But we're actually here to talk about a book that he wrote called Robots Make Bad Fundraisers. So it's kind of interesting that a person who works for a tech company is talking about the perils, perhaps, of technology and how it's applied to the fundraising space, which is really what we spend most of the time talking about. Talk a little bit about our kids in COVID time, uh, something that Stephen and I have chatted on and off about over the years is raising our children. Uh, but we also dive into his book, some of the lessons learned there, and how these time tested principles should be applied or how they can still be applied today. Um, we talk a lot about personal fundraising and using the phone, so a lot of stuff in there. Then we have some rapid fire questions before wrapping up. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation uh, with Stephen, and thanks as always for listening. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Hi, Stephen. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about your new book. Congrats again, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> but one of the things that you and I have connected on uh, over the past few years is uh, being a father. Now, you, yeah. have, you have more kids than I, and you also have more experience than myself. So <laughs> as, a, as a pro parent, as a pro dad... Uh, what, what have you been doing in COVID or how are you preparing for kids going back to school or oh. any like secret tips out there for people that are like <laughs> losing their minds? Well, I don't know about pro cause my, <laughs> my quick answer is, you know, we have a nine year old son who we basically kick out of the house at 9am and lock <laughs> the doors and then he comes back at sundown. Um, just kidding. Although there's a little truth to that. I'm but. just picturing like a mangy cat with like a rat in his mouth. He is kind of mangy, but <laughs> we, he won't let us cut his hair is the other problem. And we're, you know, we're not going to any barber shops anytime soon. Cause we're, we're a little more conservative on, on going out, but, um, you know, he comes back and he's all sweaty, but you know, he's having a normal summer. I, I would say, uh, mm. there's, there's some kids in the neighborhood where they're just kind of riding their bikes around, which is nice. Cause they're, they stay distant that way. Right. Um, and then we've got a, a one-year-old daughter that, um, you know, is a good sleeper and um, is is generally uh, in a good mood uh, most days. And uh, it's 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 been kind of a, a a little bit of a blessing, honestly, to to hmm. be able to spend more time with them. You know, I'm fortunate to to be able to work out of the home, and, and so does my wife. So, um, you know, but we're just. We're, every day's every day's new, and we're just trying to survive out there. It'll, it'll be interesting when the the school the virtual schooling starts up again. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't put me out there as any kind of uh, uh, expert on it. We're all just trying to <laughs> trying to figure it out. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we just had my son's two, and we just yeah. had the bout of um, the, the screams that doesn't want to go to bed. Yeah, coinciding yeah. with our air conditioner uh, breaking in the middle oh, no. of and July in Texas. In Texas. Now, right? Yeah, exactly. So we feel like if we can get through, you know, a few days of, of that, that we can get through anything. So anyways, yeah. um, <laughs> long, long may, uh, long may continue. I hope your, your one-year-old continues to sleep and your nine-year-old continues to forage for himself. 
<laughs> one can only hope. We'll yeah, one can only hope. There you go. Those survivor skills, survivor, survival skills will come in handy. Absolutely. All right. This is not a parenting podcast, uh, nor <laughs> should it be. <laughs> but uh, let's get back into some territory that at least I'm more familiar with in the fundraising world. And your new book, uh, Robots Make Bad Fundraisers, which is a great title, great visuals. Uh, Why did you decide to write this book? I mean, you've been speaking and writing for years and years and years. Why did you decide to write a book now? Well, you know, it's it's been an idea that's kind of been rattling around inside of my head. And, um, you know, I work at a tech company, which uh, more than a few people have kind of noticed uh, that perhaps weird dichotomy that maybe a, a tech person would write what sort of looks like uh, to be an anti-tech book. Although I think when people dive into it, they'll see that it's it's not anti-digital. It's not anti-automation. It's not anti-artificial intelligence. But what it is is... Um, you know, where we apply those technologies, I sometimes feel like is is not in the right place. And it's, mm. it's always done, you know, from kind of a, a good place in people's heart where they're trying to save time. You know, fundraisers are so busy, we're overworked and over and underpaid. Um, but I, I wonder that, you know, maybe sometimes giving up a little bit of control to these uh, these robots, these tools that we use kind of comes at the expense of of what has always worked in fundraising which is you know personal outreach and and building personal relationships mm. maybe talking one-on-one to people uh, so that's kind of where it came from you know I, I kind of have a little bit of a, a, a bird's eye view of, of the software purchasing uh, experience and sometimes people will you know expect software to just kind of do everything, you know, you yeah. just set it and forget it and it, and it runs and, uh, we don't have to worry about, uh, talking to our donors or picking up the phone. And, um, and I feel like that I was just kind of a little concerned yeah. uh, that that was kind of taking hold. So that, that's actually one of the, we're already going to digress from what, what we plan to talk about because <laughs> it's actually something I was thinking about this morning. I read, I was on, um, uh, company that's selling software on their website and you know the the tagline or the subline was something like you know make fundraising easy and yes. every kind of tool or software under the sun seems to have a version of that and i wonder if yes are, are we kind of creating a problem by telling people like that our software or tool or whatever will make things easy knowing that fundraising isn't easy is that part of the the problem that we've created is that we're actually telling them that tech will solve all their problems when it actually can't solve all their problems i totally agree not only do i think it's part of the problem i i would say it's the biggest thing the Hmm. biggest issue a lot of these software companies they the you know the founders the people building the tools and especially the people marketing those tools they don't necessarily or usually come from the fundraising world right yeah and they don't have sort of that baseline knowledge. And I, I see these ads all the time. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, I saw a tool uh, that is, again, geared towards fundraisers. And, and the marketing tagline was, you know, no one answers the phone anymore. You know, direct mail doesn't get open. You know, you should use this, this tool because it'll really break the clutter. Mm-hmm. And I kind of talk my, my head at that and I say, what are you talking about? Of course, people <laughs> still answer the phone. Of course, direct mail is great, right? Yeah. And and that's kind of the the meaning behind the title of the book, uh, that that these robots, these software companies, they're kind of influencing us in in sort of a nefarious way. And I know hmm. that 
you know, you said it, they want to make things easy for fundraisers, which is a, a good goal. You know, fundraisers, again, they got so much on their plate. Right. And, it, and people like us are always telling them what they're doing wrong or what they're not doing. And I think that that has created an environment, and I talk about it in the book, where these marketing messages are very enticing, right? You know, we'll save you time. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll help your revenue increase two to five X and you don't have to lift a finger. And, you know, maybe there may be some truth to those things. I think there are tools that can for sure create efficiencies and, and automate some things. But, but when they say that you shouldn't, you know, call donors or you shouldn't uh, send direct mail, that, that stuff really, really concerns and and the market is flooded with yeah and i wonder too if it's again like i've spent my whole career in this space so sometimes it's hard for me to know the difference of other you know industries but you know where where it's so lean and resources are so limited yes i think there becomes even more of this imbalance to like the silver bullet solution or this one thing that will that will change the trajectory you know it, it's so appealing. It's extra appealing. And I understand it, you know, like I, you've been in that space. I've been in that space when it's like, I would love a silver bullet solution right now because I have no money and I need, I need that. So there's even more temptation to, to kind of maybe give into that. Um, but the flip side is what, what I've seen more and more in the last two years, I'm curious to see if you've seen this, the more that I've done training, like full day workshops or webinars, the, there's an, often a stance that's like, you know, pencil ready. Just like, tell me how to do my email. Yes. How many emails? What does it say? When do I send it to who? Just, just tell me and I'll go do it. And there's an element of that, which is good. Everyone should be looking to do things better. But yes. if, if that's what we're looking for, for content or training to do is to like prescribe exactly what to do. I fear that we're in trouble as opposed yes. to how do people use email? Why do they open emails? You know, how can we better use email? Like what are more of the foundational concepts and then let them go apply it to their own nonprofit, right? Like that's, that's what we want. But so much it's like, yeah, 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 that's fine. But just what time of day do I send it? And it's, yeah, it's just the wrong, back. it's the wrong thing. It's going to be short, short sighted, right? I don't I know totally if you've seen agree. that. I see it all the time. And you said foundational concept, which I think is the key premise here. Cause those concepts exist, right? There is a body of knowledge right, out there. Right that that has not changed but does need to be applied through the lens of these new tools that seem to come out every single day so what i do in the book and in the opening chapter is a pretty good chunk of the the beginning of the book is kind of lay out those things you know donors want to be thanked they want to be thanked quickly they want to know the impact of their gift they they want kind of a personal connection with the organization and so the question is how do we use technology to provide those things rather than, you know, using technology to do other things that technology, those companies are saying that are important that may right. not actually be important. I think that's the shift that, that, that people need to make in their thinking is to question some of these tools. Like, wait a yes. minute, do I really need Amazon Smile, like, is is that actually <laughs> rooted in these foundational concepts? Don't get me started on Amazon Smile. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I bring it up because I'm talking to you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think this is a real problem, and 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 a a lot of the blame lay lies on the shoulders of these these for profit companies that sell fundraisers. It's it's not fair. 
Yeah. Um, well, and, and you know, it's, it's tough, you know, you market a product, we market, um, service like yep. it is, it is tough too. Cause you know, like the, you look at search trends or search volume or engagement metrics and what webinars and you know that that stuff will kind of work too. So it's kind of the responsibility of the marketer. You can't just give into whatever's easiest. You got to try to figure out what, what's truthful or what's helpful as well as what's, you know, marketing. Um, well, going back to some of these, these principles, what's, what's like one of the kind of like time tested principles that you cover in the book and then kind of explore in terms of how it should be applied today and through technology? Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, I wrote the book pre COVID. I kind of put my pencil down in January and then, um, it came out about a week ago in July and, you know, some things in the world changed in between those time periods. I think people know what we're talking about in March and April. Um, and a lot of what I suggest in the book that people do in a non COVID universe, really, we observed amongst Bloomerang customers, because I obviously have a, a view into that, that the people who were successful in those early days of COVID and, and since then, were doing things like calling donors, right? They picked up the phone to call a monthly donor and said, hey, Stephen, thanks for being a monthly donor. Just wanted to give you a shout out. And, and we so appreciate, you know, that sustained support. Um, people were, were rediscovering uh, one-to-one interactions that hmm. because COVID hit, we were sort of encouraged to do things like video chat and uh, Zoom hmm. calls like this, where you can actually see people, whereas maybe it might've been harder to, to get together in person or they would have been not accustomed to doing that as, as accustomed right. as we all are now to Zoom, doing Zoom calls. So I feel like if there's a silver lining to um, this COVID era that we're in, and I, I don't mean to make light of it at all, but if there is one silver lining, I think that it's people have rediscovered true one-to-one personal interactions that if we had had a normal spring and summer, I don't know that people would have rediscovered because mm. it would have been, you know, business as usual, these events that, um, you know, sometimes are not very personal and, and mass emails that get sent to everybody and doesn't really resonate with anyone. Um, it's just been kind of fun to, to watch those successful fundraisers do the things, you know, again, those foundational concepts that we've always known about, but and now they've been kind of encouraged to do it because of this new world that we find ourselves living. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you, you have spent a lot of time t- talking to customers and people yep. about, you know, what's changed in, in COVID and what's, what's different in COVID. And I think to your point, one of the things that we've seen at least is like good fundraising is good fundraising. Like what was yes. good before not was not only just good now, but it's actually more important now Better. because right because it it's um you know such a critical time um and everyone's trying to reach people at home and everyone's and you know trying to figure out this world and like if you didn't have some of these things in place like building relationships or one to one connection yeah um well now is the time to build it as opposed to to not um yeah. so what what are some of the like you said picking up the phone um you know I know Bloomerang did a pretty deep dive on like millions of records around phone calls yeah. to kind of prove the value of, of thanking. But um, what are some of the things that kind of maybe you're advising, not in the book necessarily, but maybe that you're seeing with clients in terms of, you know, more tactics? Is it actually like, yeah, people are at home, so you should pick up the phone. You know, are, are, are there other things like that that you've seen that um, you've maybe been saying pre-COVID and now kind of in COVID, you're seeing it become even more valuable? Yeah, 
for one comes to mind is is brand new donors. Hmm. So if you're getting a brand new donor now, you know, since March, I think it's always significant to get a brand new donor, but to get one in an unprecedented time of economic uncertainty in a time when, Hmm. uh, you know, every nonprofit is vying for attention, they're all doing, you know, valuable work, It, it might be hard for a donor to kind of decide where to invest that that money. To get a new donor, I think, now really requires some special attention. So, mm-hmm. so one thing we did pre-COVID, this is actually in January, we looked at customers who called brand new donors, people who had given their first gift within the first 90 days of, of that gift, just to say thank you, you know, peer stewardship call. And across the board, the, the customers who did those things way outperformed the ones who did not in terms of retention rates, right? So they were, I think, 10 to 12% higher retention rates, which is pretty significant for, for a new donor. Yeah, They got the second gift faster than uh, organizations who didn't call new donors, um, but who did get a second gift from them. And that second gift was larger. It was, uh, it was about twice the size. So, you know, that's a pre-COVID uh, example for sure that I think is really important now for all the reasons I said, right? It's a really kind of tough time. And I think it's an even more extraordinary time to have convinced a, a new person to join the fold. Yeah, That's no. one thing that we've seen. Uh, another thing that we've seen in just, you know, conversations I've had with people is, is this idea of communication segmentation. So they're, they're sending different emails, different letters, different thank yous to different types of donors. That, that more or less just kind of contextualize what kind of support those people are giving, whether they're a monthly donor, you know, saying, hey, thanks for being a monthly donor, Brady, uh, or a first-time donor, you know, hey, Stephen, thanks for making your first gift. Um, those things, and again, that's, that's, that's an old tactic that, that works in any time, but I think it's especially good now. Uh, we had a customer that um, reached out proactively to monthly donors in, in the very early days of COVID. Again, just to say thank you. Hey, you're a monthly donor. You're literally keeping the lights on. You know, we so appreciate that. And not only did they not get cancellations during a really tough economic time, but a lot of those monthly donors upped their com- their commitments by by a few dollars a month. And, I, and, and this fundraiser swears, and I, I agree with her, that it was because they proactively reached out and were sending only specific communications to these specific segments of donors, right. which is good advice at any time. Yeah. Hey, this is Nathan from Next After. Thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. We'll be back to your interview in one second. But first, I want to make sure you knew about the best free nonprofit event that you will ever attend. And I'm talking about the Nonprofit Innovation and Optimization Summit. Let's be real. Most nonprofit events are super lame. 90% of the time, the speakers are just trying to sell you on their tool, their platform, or their agency. The ideas you hear from the stage are often the same best practices you heard 10 years ago. And by the end, even if you learn something new, how do you know that it's actually going to make the difference that you want? The NEO Summit, the NIO Summit, is the opposite of most every other nonprofit event that you've been to. We bring in speakers, many of which are for-profit marketers who have new, innovative, and data-driven ideas that can make a transformational difference in your fundraising. You can connect with other fundraisers and marketers all seeking these innovative ways to grow generosity. It's actually fun, and since it's virtual this year, it's also entirely free. 
You can check out all the details of this year's summit coming up September 30th and October 1st and get your free ticket at niosummit.com. Okay, so maybe um, maybe a few things. Jumping back to the to the phone, because uh, yeah. I referenced that research a lot because I think it's great. A, there was a study <laughs> that came out last year that seemingly said thank you calls don't work, but it's kind of a yes. bogus, bogus research study. Right. Uh, a couple of, problems with that research. Yeah, there was a few problems with that one. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, that we do is actually automate thank you calls. Have you seen any difference between like, you know, the ideal, which would be like, you know, executive director or board member picks yes. up the phone uh, but knowing again that like time is limited, so is yeah. that a way where you can actually scale with the pre-recorded voicemails? Have you have you seen any difference? Do you have any opinion on um, you know is it worth doing automated voicemails? Is that a case where technology can actually help scale some of this, or is that a case where technology is actually hurting us? I you know I only have opinions. I haven't seen specific data, and 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 our customers' data doesn't really differentiate between whether someone picked up the phone and answered or, or called uh, call. or, okay. or left a voicemail, excuse me. Yeah. Although there seems to be a lot of sort of anecdotal evidence out there that a voicemail is, is just as good, right? It's kind of this nice artifact that's, you know, it's sort of a digital thank you card. And, and I think most people don't answer the phone from an unknown number a lot of times. Yeah. So I think that's to be expected. Um, but my, my sort of philosophy is if, if, if it's, if you, if you're doing it automated, that, that's sometimes better than not doing it at all. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, an automated thank you is certainly better than no thank you. Right. Um, but, but I think the, the best version of it is something that, that seems really personal. Now, if you can automate it in a way that is also segmented, so maybe you have a a pre-recorded thank you donor, uh, message for a monthly donor and a version of it for a new donor and a version of it for, a you know longtime loyal donor or whatever segment makes sense for you. That's good too, as long as you have confidence in in your data. I think a lot of the problem with automation isn't necessarily that it's automated, but that the data isn't reliable, yeah. right? Yeah. Or that you know you you accidentally have someone marked as a certain type of donor when maybe they're not. Um, that that's when automation gets you in trouble. And we talk about this in the book a little bit. Um, if you're going to do it, you, you got to have confidence in the data. That's really where it starts. Yeah. And, and real good kind of like, you know, tech methodology would follow more like agile principles or, you know, this the like well-known book, nail it, then scale it is like, you have to understand what works first before you try to automate and scale something. Otherwise, for sure. What a waste. Right. So, um, you know, the ideal would be like, actually, if, if you're the marketing person or the executive director, like do some of those phone calls yourself. Yes. Yeah. And get some feedback. Ideally, you could run some tests like call versus no call or different scripts, uh, you know, in a manual way. And then once you kind of figure out, hey, when we when we call with this person with this kind of message, we see a result. Yeah. Then maybe move towards like let's record it and you know automate it. Now I know that's you know yeah. pretty idealistic and can everyone sure. do it? But but the premise or the principle is is a good one. Is like don't just automate and scale something that you don't know if it doesn't even work, right? And and I think when it comes to scaling. Sometimes we kind of we kind of skip a step. So we go from the executive director making a few phone calls a week to, hey, this is great. What if we, you know, blew it out of the water and automated right. it to everybody versus saying, well, wait a minute, what if we reached out to board members and maybe volunteers yeah. and see if we can scale it in a human way first 
and and get the same results rather than jumping right to i feel like we kind of we, yeah. we make take a really big leap in favor of scaling up and automating when hey you know it's covid we don't have volunteers coming on site maybe those volunteers still want to help us and and they can do something virtually what if we ask them to make thank you phone calls right they can't come and pull weeds or hang out with the dogs in yeah. the shelter what can they do instead you know that could be a really interesting way to not only scale a stewardship operation but also engage a group of people in this case volunteers that are just kind of sitting there you know twiddling their thumbs and not able to do anything otherwise yeah well in the the kind of like lack of scale to a degree is is a big differentiator for smaller nonprofits i yes. think right is you're not dealing with 230,000 donor records you yeah. know that that you're trying to figure out that you can never call in a million years yeah. so one of the one of the big opportunities actually of being small is you can be way more personal, high touch with your donors Absolutely. than a lot of those other organizations. And so to like lean into that natural advantage um, is what you should do. Now, when we've done some research with smaller nonprofits and benchmarking, we don't, we don't typically see that. Right. Uh, and maybe that is a function of time and resources. Maybe it's a function of knowledge. I'm not sure, but that's always one of the big ironies, you know, is, Big organizations uh, who everyone knows, you know, don't have the personal touch and wish they had it. And everyone who's small and can have the personal touch wish they had the big numbers, you know. Right. And it's kind of like you kind of you need, you know, need a little bit of both. But I think that's a great point of even once you do find out that you kind of have nailed it, you don't just immediately go to, you know, 100 percent scale or full automation. There's some steps in between. Absolutely. Um, The other thing that kind of stands out is even just like, you know, thank you phone call. As long as I've been in the space, that has been something that people have talked about. Yet when we do our research studies and we're doing one right now where we capture phone, we know very, very few organizations are still actually calling to thank their donors within those 90 days. It's, you know, it's going to be less than 20 percent. And these are, you know, fairly large, quote unquote, sophisticated organizations. So so what's happening? Is this just like an echo chamber where consultants and vendors trot out these stats and say, do these things. And we're just talking to each other or why don't some of these things that have been around for decades, that seem to be pretty proven. Why don't they get implemented? I only have theories, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my prevailing one. You know, we put out this research and, you know, I put it on social media and, you know, we'll get a lot of positive comments, but, but there's always somebody who says, well, I hate getting telephone calls, you know, <laughs> why would we do this? And I think that happens within organizations, right? Somebody internally, maybe it's a board member, maybe it's ED says, well, well I don't like getting called. Aren't we going to annoy people? Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of is very pervasive, right? Like I don't, I, that wouldn't work on me. So therefore it won't work on any of our, any of our supporters, regardless of whatever the research says. And that, you know, that happens in lots of different places, you know, a, a thank you letter. Somebody says this, this is too silly or this, this isn't resonating with me. So we're, we got to change this. Yeah. Even if it was written by, you know, the, the best award-winning copywriter ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. We're sort it's of our point. own worst enemy yep. and saying, you know, that's not going to work on me. So let's, let's do what'll work on me. Um, which in and of itself may not even be true. Right. Cause you, you can't really remove yourself from, um, from the organization. I, I think that's probably the yeah. biggest thing. I think the other thing is, you know, we're just so busy. And again, I'm not to harp on it, but all these software companies and, and, and vendors are, are vying for our attention and pulling us in all different ways. 
Yeah. And it's kind of hard to decide what we spend that eight hours a day on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, this, this new era we're in, I, I think it has freed up some time, you know, we're not, we're not doing events as often or at all. And, and maybe some people are discovering that it, it's worth carving out a little bit of time for. Yeah. I think, I think, I mean, this is why you wrote the book. This is why we like talking because I think those are bang <laughs> on. Uh, the first one I won't even touch on because it's a hot button issue similar to Amazon smile. But the, <laughs> this, the second one I think is, is really, um, you know, interesting too, because it's, it's prioritization. And I think, yeah. um, you know, those of us that are consulting or doing, we should, we need to do a better job too of helping share and prioritize, just giving a list of here's 10 things you can do useful. But if we can say, here's 10 things, but you got to do these two things first or better, you know, I think is really useful. And a case in point. So, you know, we, we built a donation page landing, uh, donation page template that has like 19 different variables that our testing shows, (laughs) <laughs> These are different levers that you can basically pull, you know, to improve your donation experience. But not all 19 of those things are equally weighted, not even close. Right. And I think especially when people change their donation page or maybe their email, a lot of times it's the easy thing or even technology. This is what their people are helping solve is kind of like the low hanging fruit, easy stuff. Yep. Right. Uh, or people will tweak a gift array or something like that. And that's fine. If you can figure out how to do your gift array, you may see, you know, small lift, but yeah. it's not the most important thing. And so I, I think that is a, a real challenge as they go, cool, I can call people and get a 12% increase in retention, but I could text them or I could do this. You know, there's almost like uh, analysis paralysis. And so yes. we do need some data or, you know, trusted advisors to say, you know, here's where you should be focusing the most of your time. Yeah. Um, so how, how do we get to that point? Who sits that role? Is that, you know, vendor, consultant, leadership, a combination of the above? Well, I, th- I think it goes back to what you were saying about your experience in, 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 in a seminar where people sit down and they're very eager. You know, I also have spent basically my whole career here. And, you know, the, the folks that we get to work with, I mean, they're the best people on the planet. They're trying to solve, mm. you know, the biggest problems in, in the world and cure diseases and they want to learn. I, I think it's, it's yeah. unique amongst all the other sectors for profit and nonprofit. So I think, you know, Good we point. need to em- embrace that. Sometimes I think that that eagerness is, is a little bit suppressed by leadership, right? Yep. Cause we don't invest in things like trainings and, and the things that you teach and, and the research. Mm. I think, I think that should be fostered. I think we should encourage our people and pay for them to go and take these classes and, mm. and go to webinars and take time out of the, out of the day to day. But, but to answer your question, you know, quickly, I think it does start at the top. I think it's the leadership. It starts yeah. with the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the board should have, again, that foundational knowledge of fundraising because oftentimes they don't. Yeah. And that causes distractions and that, that, sends people on, on mixed messages and, and tangents. Yeah. Um, but if they have that foundational knowledge, I think everything kind of flows. From that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point as well. And that, that's where that kind of, you know, personal bias and well, I don't like, and here's what I do can come yes. back to, to bite you is if the, the experience that the board members are drawing on is, you know, experience of one or what they believe is their experience. Right. And then it filters all the way down. Then you can get, you know, really off track really quick. So for sure. Um, 
Good stuff there. Good stuff. I'm sure we could keep talking on and on and on, but uh, oh yeah, you know we gotta we gotta let you go at some point here. Oh geez, has it been an hour already? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you gotta write another book at some point. Um, so I want to ask you a few rapid fire questions here. Okay. Uh, and then then we'll close. All right. So, uh, what's a favorite book that you've are reading or you've read recently? Oh wow. Um, I love I love this book by uh, Jane McGonigal about gamification. It's called Reality Is Broken. It's about what happens to our brains when we play things like video games and board games and how that those kind of metrics and feedback mechanisms specifically kind of translate in other areas of our lives. I think there's a lot of really good parallels to fundraising, Hmm. especially on the peer to peer side. Um, And she's got a TED talk, which is kind of a nice summary of the book. I'm not a big TED talk guy, but it's a good one for sure. Um, Yeah. Reality is broken by Jane McGonigal. I think, um, it, it doesn't look like a fundraising book on, on the surface, but I think there's a lot of really interesting takeaways, takeaways for our sector. Cool. Yeah, I, lo- I like the, A, the recommendation, but that associative nature of how yes. you lo- learn from another industry and apply over to ours. That's cool. Um, you can only watch one sport for the rest of your life and only that sport. You cannot watch any other sports. Uh, oh. what, what is it? Normally, I'd say baseball, but my beloved Red Sox are kind of terrible right now. Uh, so I'll say curling uh, in honor of your <laughs> Canadian heritage. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, that's a guarantee to also drink a lot more beer. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I can see that. The The point of curling <laughs> is to basically drink beer. That makes sense. Um, cool. So win-win. Uh, who is someone that you think listeners should should pay attention to or follow online, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or something like that? Oh, wow. Um is, would it be a cop out to uh, say the whiny donor? I like the whiny donor. No, that's not a cop out. That's great. It's a little bit of a the donor's perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. And what about um, a favorite organization of yours that maybe you've really seen respond in COVID nineteen, or you've supported for a long time, or you've just kind of read about recently? How, shine a light on an organization or two uh, that that you care about. Oh, we got uh, Out- Outreach Inc. here in Indianapolis. They uh, they help homeless teens here in Indianapolis. Uh, great organization. We've been a monthly donor for a little while and uh, really good stewardship by them. But then, of course, the work they do is great. So I, I like the I like the hometown orgs whenever I can give them a shout out, of course. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for that. Well, Stephen, thank you again for taking some time and uh, sharing about the book and some of the yeah. other awesome work that you're up to. Where can people find out more about that book and the rest of your work? Uh, they can go to uh, robotsmakebadfundraisers.com. Uh, it's also on Amazon. You can search for it there. And uh, I'm pretty easy to find online. I'm on Twitter at Stephen Shattuck. Um, might be some sad Red Sox tweets, like I said, but there's some <laughs> other good stuff in there. And uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, I'd love to hear from people. If they pick up the book, I'd, I'd love to know what they thought. Awesome. Well, thanks again and uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks, man. Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. 
And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening. 